with us. That's love. That's love. Just find whatever note you want to sing. Come on. That's love. When I think about the goodness of Jesus That's and all that he's done for me, my soul cries hallelujah. That's love. That's love. That's the love of our God, say, that's love, hey. that's love. Say right there, say, that's, that's love. Come on, lift that up all over this house. That's love, oh, that's love. That's love, say, that's love. That's love, oh, that's Say, I'm love, I'm love. With all that God has, I'm love. Put that on yourself. Say, I'm love, I'm love. With the fullness of our God, I'm love. Say, Jesus went, say, Father, we thank you that the story didn't end 
The story didn't end on the cross. The story is still unfolding, even right now. We thank you that three days later you rose and you rose with our power in your hand. You ascended to where you now sit at the right hand of the Father, making continuous intercession for us. We thank you that you're our advocate. We thank you. Thank you that you loved us that much. Glory to your name. Now, Father, as always, my humble prayer is that it would be all of you, none of me, that you would increase as I decrease. The words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, you are my strength. You are my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, worship team, for... Yes. Yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for making it so hard for me to preach and keep my composure. Because I just think about, it's so hard for me not to think about how good God has been to me. You know, Some Sundays are different than other Sundays. I know they're all the same, and they're all the Lord's day, and actually every day is the Lord's day, but there's just some time we come together when we ought to not just be so methodical. There ought to be some time we come together when we, when we just kind of go, go a little astray, let the, let the Spirit lead us <laughs> just a little bit. There ought to be a Sunday every now and then where somebody just, just gives a shout to the Lord. If, if I was like I used to be, there would be a Sunday every now and then I'd take off running throughout the sanctuary. I'm, I'm not going to do that, I promise you. <laughs> Chris, like, why not? Why not? <laughs> but sometimes, I'm just saying, sometimes the Spirit ought to hit you in a place where you just lose control and composure and you don't worry about who says what about you. And, and, and it's because you think about where God has brought you from and that it did not have to end up this way. It could have went another way. It Things could have turned out different because of his amazing grace. He saved a wretch like me. Now, I'm not, in the, I'm not in the text right now, but I just need to tell you that I once was lost. Now I'm found. I was blind. 
I was blind. Somebody else in here ought to have that same testimony. Uh, Ephesians. We do have an assignment today. Let's make sure we... <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. I'd ask if you to join me there, and uh, let's read it together, either on your device or your Bible, or it'll be on the screen as well. You can follow along there. Um, I know that, that some uh, like to stand during the reading of the Word. That's perfectly fine. If you are that person, you're welcome to do that. If you'd rather stay seated, you're okay doing that as well. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of God's Holy Word. Whatever version you have is fine. Here's what it says. Paul writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Amen. Four verses today for us to consider. And from these four verses, I want to talk from this subject or this thought, archers and arrows. Archers and arrows. I need to give you some context for that subject, so let's do that. Homiletics. Homiletics is the art of preaching. Many of you know the origin and the meaning of that word, homiletics. Homiletics is the art of preaching and writing sermons. Um, it may be further, though, defined as the study of the analysis, classification, preparation, and composition, and delivery of a sermon, homiletics. One of the principles of uh, one of the principles taught through homiletics is the use of illustrations in a sermon to make a certain subject clearer. Illustrations. These sermon illustrations uh, can and often do come from various sources, such as life experiences. Many of you have heard sermon illustrations where even I have used life experiences to bring home a certain point. They come from history. They come from stories, sometimes even made-up stories to help bring home the idea and to make the context clearer of what the one who is delivering the message or the writer of the text is trying to convey. Even illustrations come from Scripture itself. We can find illustrations that illustrate a certain passage that are found in a different passage that just bring clearer, make clearer uh, the idea that the writer of the present text is trying to convey. For instance, in Psalm 127, 
one of only two psalms written by Solomon, Psalm 72 being the other one. In Psalm 127, uh, Solomon refers to children as arrows and parents as archers. Psalm 127 verses 3 through 5 says this, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the the womb, a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Arrows and archers. The idea here is that God, in in, in Psalm 127, that Solomon is trying to convey, is that God has great plans for your child. Great plans for your child. And and as arrows, arrows are not meant to be kept in a safe in the quiver. No, he wants you to eventually release that arrow to make an impact on our world with the love of Christ. The children are our future. They are our future. They are world changers in the making. That's who they are. They're world changers in the making. Our goal then is to aim them at the target. As archers, our goal is to aim them at the target. Satan's kingdom of darkness. And aim them and release them at the target as burning arrows Jesus. John F. Kennedy said, children are the living messages we send to a time we will not see. Children are the living messages we send to a time we will not see. What Kennedy says. So then, for illustrative purposes, I'd like to approach this text here in Ephesians chapter 6, as if Paul is actually giving instructions to archers and arrows. As you will recall, he is, Paul that is, is continuing his theme of being spirit-led and mutually submissive, which leads to harmony in the home which in turn leads to uh, a better society. He's continuing this theme. He has already, you remember last week, he's already addressed in that difficult message that I had to struggle my way through with y'all's help. Y'all helped me, though. Y'all helped me. Candace helped me. I mean, it wasn't Candace. It was Joyce. And Candace, you might help me, too. I'm sorry. Before I even got started, they were saying amen, and that really helped me, Joyce. To, to get through that. Uh, so we dealt last week with husbands and wives and how a harmonious home should look and that harmonious home then being prepared in the home to go out into the world and affect for the glory of God's society. Now he turns his attention to parents and children or archers and arrows. He first addresses the children. In verses 1 through 3, he he addresses the children. And what he does, I'll say that he he covers the responsibility of the arrow. Responsibility of the arrow using 
using the illustration from Psalm 127, uh, arrows and arch. He, he, uh, Paul, if we're going, if I am going to allow myself to believe that th- what this is is instruction for archers and arrows, he addresses first the responsibility of the arrow. The fact, the fact that children are even addressed at all is significant. It's significant because, because of the fact that they occupied the lowest rung on the ladder of hierarchy in the family. It's, it's, it's significant that they are even addressed in this text that deals with the harmony in the home and which will lead to harmony or, or benefit for the society. Paul decides that children need to be addressed. He does it. He, he addresses the children. Not only that, he addresses the children first before he gets to the parents. It's important. It's significant. The reality is, and the reason why it's likely that Paul decides to do this is because the reality is that they, will not, they are not only fruit of the marriage. They have another purpose. They're not just the fruit of the marriage. They have another pur- purpose. They themselves are the next generation of parents who will someday be charged with all of the weighty duties that parenting entails. The children will take on that responsibility. So Paul decides that the arrow needs to be addressed so that the arrow will understand the arrow's responsibility in the here and now. Uh, So for now, the responsibilities are to, number one, obey your parents. Verse 1, children... Obey your parents. Uh, I notice that we have some children in the room. Mine is in the room and others are in the room. I need all of you children to listen closely right through it in here. I need you to pay close attention right here in this part of the message. You can go to sleep later, but don't go to sleep right now. Paul says the chief responsibility of the child is to obey your parents. Parents are to exercise authority, and children should respond with implicit obedience. It is the responsibility of the child in their childhood to obey the parents. Obedience to parents is of the utmost importance to God. In fact, in two places in his word, God shows how displeased he is with disobedience to parents when he listed among, uh, along with some of the most egregious sins that, the, that that untoward generation and those that characterized the last days. He listed among those egregious sins. In Romans chapter 1, verses 29 through 31, you recall Paul writes this, uh, talking about that present untoward generation and the condition and the state that they found themselves in being given over to this egregious list of sins. Paul writes this in Romans. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, rootless. In that list is disobedience to parents. 
Then, and then he covers how, how prevalent it will be and, and, and the significance of it, even not in his present generation, but in the last days. He covers it when he writes his letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, when he deals with godlessness in the last days. This is what Paul writes to Timothy. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid, Paul says, such people. He includes in this, these egregious lists that are just ungodly. Wouldn't you agree that some of the things on these lists are just abhorrent and ungodly? Part of both of these lists is disobedience to parents. If a child never learns to obey in act and attitude in the home, here's why it's such a problem. Then it will be very difficult for that person to obey any authority as they grow older, which will inevitably lead to serious challenges in that person's life. It all begins at home. It all begins at home. In fact, Frederick Douglass says something about it. He says this, it is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. What Frederick Douglass says. Uh, uh, and, And so Paul says, children Obey your parents. It will benefit you in the long run. But then he says this, in the Lord, for it is right. In the Lord, for it is right. What does it mean by that? Obedience to parents is a model for obedience to the Lord. When the child obeys the parent, it is modeling how a person should be obedient to the Lord. And it is training that child to then submit in authority to God at some point and to all manners of authority later in their lives. Uh, He says, in the Lord, to the Lord, right? Uh, An obedience, this is an obedience that is not born, by the way, out of fear, but it is born out of love and respect. And it is how we learn to model our obedience to the Lord. He says this, it is right. It is right. It's simply, Brother Joe, it's simply the right thing to do. It is right to obey parents because it is a foundational principle in God's creation. Obedience to authority is foundational. God sets it up in his creation, in the universe, in the grand scheme of things. It's a part of God's original design. It is right from every vantage point to obey parents. For the glory of God, it's right. For the harmony in the home, it's right. For the child's good, it's right. And for society's benefit, it is right. Are y'all children still awake? They're like, why is he talking to us? This is supposed to be for adults. (laughs) I'm getting there. Don't worry. I'm not leaving them out. (laughs) 
But I need, I need, I need to, to the understanding, first of all, that children uh, are arrows and there is a purpose for them and they'll never be able to fulfill it if the foundation is not laid and if they don't learn early on uh, uh, to obey parents because obeying parents is, is a model for things that will happen later in life. And so he says, it is right. But then, he doesn't stop there. He says in verse 2, Paul writes this, not, not only is obedience good and right thing to do, he says this, honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. It doesn't stop at obedience because to honor is a different thing. Uh, honor here is the Greek word uh, tamayo. It's tamayo and it's from the idea to value, to deem worthy. Uh, this is higher ground than even obedience. It is another level. It goes higher than simple obedience to honor parents implies genuine deference to their wishes, respect for their judgment, and trust in their love. That's what honoring Parents looks like. Proverbs is full of admonitions to honor parents, both as children and later as adults. Proverbs is full of it. I'm going to just give you a couple examples. Uh, for children, Proverbs 1, 8 through 9 says this. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. For adults that are adults now but still have parents that are alive, Proverbs says this in 23, 22 through 25, listen to your father uh, who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. That's for those that have gotten older, but your parents are still alive. It, it, this, 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 this issue of honor is important. It, it goes beyond obedience. It, it, Paul says, uh, honor them. We have a duty. Children and even those of us who have grown to not be children but still have parents, we, we have a duty to honor, to listen to, and to care for our parents that, be, that extends beyond even childhood. Paul says, children, obey your parents. Don't stop there. Honor your parents. He says that, and he says this. He says, for this is the first commandment with the promise. What does it mean by that? Because actually, actually, that's not completely true. It's not completely true, but, but, but there's a theory as to why he says it this way. Actually, this is the second command with the promise. Uh, uh, scholars point out that the second commandment, not to make any idols, promises that God will show loving kindness to those who love him and keep his commands in Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. The second commandment is actually the first one with the promise. He promises those uh, that, that, that love God first and keep him first and don't make idols that he will bless them 
So really, that's the first one. What, what, what's going on? Why does Paul say this is the first commandment with a promise? Uh, one plausible theory is that Paul means that this is the first one with a promise that is of primary importance for children. The promise is restated in verse 3. So he says he, he, he helps us to see that, listen, obey and honor, there's a promise attached to it. When you do it, there's a promise attached to it. And so he reveals what the promise is in verse 3. Verse 3 says this, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Here, that's the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Uh, that, that, that is the promise. So what's going on with that? Proverbs 20, 20 says this, if one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. Did, did, did y'all get, I don't know if that made it on the screen. I don't think I sent that in, but I need to read it again so you can, so you can understand what's happening. He, Proverbs 20, 20 says this, if one curses his father or mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. That, that there's a promise attached to honoring and obeying one's parents. And Paul says, uh, quoting from uh, the Ten Commandments, that it means that there will be a longer life and life will be better when one honors and obeys their parents. What does it mean? Does it mean that I'm guaranteed to live beyond the hundred if I honor my parents and obey them? John, is that what it's talking about? I don't think so. That's not what Paul is saying. One Wiersbe has something to say about it. Here's what Wiersbe says. Wiersbe says this is what Paul means. When children obey their parents in the Lord. Now this should be there. You should be able to read along with this uh, with me. Uh, he says this. Wiersbe says, when children obey their parents in the Lord. They will escape a good deal of sin and danger and thus avoid the things that could threaten or shorten their lives. But life is not measured, Wisby says, only by quantity of time. It is also measured by quality of experience. God enriches the life of the obedient child no matter how long he may live on the earth. Sin, Wiersbe says, always robs us, while obedience always enriches us. And if you don't get nothing else, get that last little part. Sin always robs us. Obedience always enriches us. And so I think what Paul is simply saying is that you're not guaranteed a certain number of years just because you honor and obey your parents. But what will happen is it's less likely for you to go astray if you start out the right way. It's a lot less likely for you to lose your way and never find it again if you start out the right way. It's a lot less likely for you to have a total disregard for authority if you start out the right way. And that obedience can never harm you, but it always enriches you while sin has the opposite effect. Uh, so he says, so that, so that. Re remember, that is the reason. That's the promise. That you could, you'll have long life. And simply what he's saying, to go back to the arrow and archer idea, simply what Paul is saying here is that you will not, so that you will not be an arrow, just an arrow, but that you'll be a flaming arrow that is shot into the world to bring light, to illuminate, not just for a little while, 
but to bring light and illuminate for a long time. That you will not just be a light that goes out, but that you will be an arrow that continuously flies and shines throughout life, is what Paul is saying. This is the promise that is attached to obedience and honor for the children. And now, children, we got to the part that you've been waiting on. We, we, we're, we've arrived. <laughs> when they said, now he's going to leave us alone now. We, yeah, we're going to move on. We've talked about arrows. Now let's deal with the archers. Let's deal with the archers. And so Paul deals with the archers in one verse. Verse 4. The role of the archer is covered in verse 4. Verse 4 says this. Fathers, and when he says fathers, it refers back to verse 1 when he says parents. So fathers here is a reference to both parents. Fathers and mothers, I'll just add that. You don't get away. <laughs> Do not provoke your children. I'll, I'll cover that in a minute. Here, here it is. Let, let, me, let me share with you the role of the archer in just two words. Here's the role of the archer in two words. Raise arrows. And Paul's going to tell you how to do it in a minute. But th this, is, this is the role of the, we've covered the responsibility of the arrow. What then, how, what's the role then of the parent in all of this? What's the role of the one who is tasked with shooting the arrow? What, what's their job? Raise arrows. Uh, Ruth Swink said something about it. She says this. It's about, here's, here's what raising arrows looks like, Swink says. It's about straightening what's crooked, sanding the rough spots, sharpening the point, adjusting the feathers on the arrow, dedicating time to practice, to target practice. It's making sure this arrow understands its purpose, the reason it will someday be free in flight. I, I don't know about you, but that's, that, that, that's my intent. I never thought of it this way until this week in preparing for this message. But that has, it, it came to me, Nate, that that has been my intent all along. And, and that has been me and Jane's intent all along in raising all of our children. And now uh, Simeon, who's the last one who feels like he's the only one, our intent has been to raise an arrow. To raise an arrow that hopefully someday... I'll draw back the bow, Rick, and, 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 and light the fire on the end of that arrow. And that right now, though, I'm sharpening. Right now, I'm fixing the feathers. Right now, I'm smoothing out the rough spots. And I'm going to say this. With him, there's not a whole lot of rough spots. Raise the arrow is the role of the archer. Well, then the question, the question quite naturally comes, how, how is this done? Does Paul leave us hanging? Does he leave us hanging with this idea of raising arrows without telling us, Martha, what to do and what not to do? No, he does not. Paul never leaves us hanging. So he says this is done, number one, by not provoking them. That's first step in raising an arrow. Don't be a provoker. Don't be a provoker. The Greek word is paragrizo. Say it with me, paragrizo. 
It, it, it means to make angry, to rouse, to rad, to provoke, to exacerbate, to anger. Uh, the sister text to this is Colossians 3.21 when Paul writes to the church at Colossae, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Don't provoke the child to raise an arrow. You are not a provoker. Well, what does it mean? It means do not irritate or exacerbate or discourage them by unreasonable demands, by unnecessary interference, by irritable nagging, by perpetual fault finding. Okay, I'm going to stop because y'all going to make me leave. Y'all going to wait a minute. Woo. Ow, ooh, ooh, stop. <laughs> Perpetual fault finding. I'm talking about provoking, right? By harsh criticism. I'm, I, di I did not say constructive criticism. That's part of building an arrow. But breaking an arrow happens when we harshly criticize. Harsh criticism, uh, unceasing don'ts. Every now and then there ought to be some, yeah, okay, you can do that. Everything ought not be no. Some things and a whole lot of things should be, but unnecessary, unending don'ts, a dictatorial attitude and manner about oneself, and placing unjust commands before the child. Remember, Paul says, in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, right? So this is what provoking means. And Paul says to raise an arrow, you can't be guilty of any of that. There must be understanding. There must be love. There must be justice. There must be self-control on the part of the archer. Avoid and guard any, against anything disciplinary that repels the child. And I know you say, well, all my discipline repelled. They don't like none of it. Well, that's okay. That's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying that they should enjoy it, <laughs> right? I don't know. I know I didn't. Now, them switches, so some of y'all don't know about, some of y'all don't know about them switches. Let me, let me help you. Uh, when we grew up in the country, Kimmy, you know about them switches. Uh, now, when I say switch, I'm not talking about one piece of, no, that, that's, that's too easy. Somebody doing it already. That means... Big Mama tell you, go out to the yard and get me a switch. You better not come back with just one. Because she intends to braid them switches together. <laughs> and you better not have on no long pants. If you do, she's going to make you take them off. Get out them pants. <laughs> Y'all wasn't raised in the country like I was. So it's not that they'll enjoy it, but it should not, though, because as I look back on it, I can appreciate the braided switch. It didn't repel me. Y'all heard me share loving and glowing memories about Big Mama. It's because as I look back over my time, I can appreciate the discipline now. Discipline shouldn't be that that repels the child or destroys their confidence or wounds his or her spirit. Let me just say this. Let me pause right here. This ain't in the notes. I need to say this. Uh, there's nothing more important in a child than their spirit, their soul, their inner being, their confidence right now. And you don't want to steal that from them. You don't want to wound their spirit. 
And it's easier done with words than it is with a switch. Words will wound in a way that will take years, if ever, to heal. So be careful not to, not to wound their spirit. Uh, a, chi- a child's self-respect can be damaged by continuous mentions of a child's faults. Oh, Lord, I didn't mean for it to get this quiet today. Be careful not to always, all the time. In fact, it's a good idea to never because I'm just going to tell you, I know we're on the, the parents now. Uh, we had already talked about the children, but parents have faults too. Not a good idea to, to harp on the child's faults or sensitive areas of imperfection that they already know exist. They already know they have issues here or issues there. Uh, uh, they, and so don't do this, mamas. You just like your dad. Especially if you don't like daddy. (laughs) It's one thing if you're saying it as a compliment. (laughs) If you're saying it as a compliment, that's one thing. But, but, But be careful not to target the areas in them that they already know are areas of imperfection. Maybe they are a little behind in school. Don't don't remind them of that. Encourage them that they're just as smart as the next child. Maybe they do struggle a little bit in sports, but remind them, you're just as important to me. I don't care if you never hit a home run. I don't care if you don't break five minutes in a mile. I don't care what you do. You're just as I don't care if you don't run the ball like so-and-so or hit the ball like I don't care because to me, you're the most important thing in the world. So don't focus on their imperfections that they already know exist. They already know where they, where, where they fall short because these actions can cause a child to develop a dislike, or even hatred for the home. You don't want that. Because what happens then is that it leads them to have thoughts of getting away from the home on the first thing smoking. The first opportunity they get, and, and really no desire to come back. That's something that you don't want. And so Paul says, uh, what happens when you provoke the child to anger is this is what begins to build in them. You know, kids, and maybe you one yourself that said, I can't wait to get out of here. <laughs> now, some of us said that. We didn't really mean it. Because some of us said that, and we didn't find ourselves right back. <laughs> I didn't go back, but I had kids that did, not for bad reasons, for good reasons. I'm so glad that they felt like they could come back. Hello, somebody. You want to make sure that you have a home where the children feel welcome and comfortable and loved and not provoked in all of these ways. Now, I said we only have four verses. Y'all making me not act like it's four verses. I'm trying to get to them. So you don't want that. You don't want the kid to have this desire to leave the first opportunity they get. Now, all kids have those thoughts, right? I'm running away from home, but all it takes is about five minutes <laughs> when you realize, oh, my mama ain't here to cook. 
Oh, no, I got to get back to you. It's kind of like the prodigal son who finds himself in a precarious situation in a pig pen. And he thinks about, Brother Calvin, all of the fineries that are back at home. And he makes his way back. So I all have those thoughts, but we don't want to perpetuate and encourage that kind of a thought process where it's not just a thought, but it is a, 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 a conviction that I cannot stand this place. You don't want that to happen. So he says, do this, bring them up. He says, bring them up, right? He said, don't provoke, that's the don't. Next thing he said is to, this is the do, bring them up. What does it mean by it? Uh, bringing them up requires the parent to assume the responsibility for their spiritual, moral, mental, and physical well-being. This means that there must be willingness to involve oneself in their everyday affairs when those affairs have the potential to impact their upbringing. It does not mean you need to be involved in everything, but it, need, it means that you need to know what's going on with the child. He'll tell you in a minute, we'll walk in and snatch that phone in a minute. What you watching, boy? <laughs> He's like, why you? I'm not, leave me alone. I'm not doing nothing. <laughs> and it's proven to be true. But simply, it simply means that I want to invite, I want to know who your friends are. I want to know who you're talking to. I want to know who you're hanging out with. I want to know who you're close to. I don't want to know what you're watching on your phone. I want to know all of that. Not that I'm not giving you a certain level of freedom, but as your parent, as your archer, I need to know what's happening with you. If somebody's bothering you at school, I need to know about it. I need to know what's happening. If something is not right, I need to know so that I can involve myself in it because I love you as an archer, and I plan someday to draw back the bow. And when that day comes, I need you to be able to fly and light up the world. So bringing them up means that I need to involve myself with what's happening when it could potentially affect the upbringing process. I don't need some outside joker come telling my child something that I didn't teach them and then they grasping, holding on to that and making it a belief and a conviction in them that they didn't get from me or mama because it can affect what happens with them. Then he says this, it's done through discipline and instruction. Discipline and instruction. Last part of verse 4. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The upbringing will involve the tough task of discipline. Discipline is tough on the parent and the child. I know children don't really believe when daddy say this is hurting me more than it's hurting you. <laughs> they don't believe that. <laughs> I never believed it. <laughs> but I, I, I will say that as a parent, I now know it's true. I hate, I hate to have to do it, but I know that as an archer, as an archer, I have to do it. So he says, discipline and instruction. It's a tough task. The tough task of discipline, warning, correction, instruction in the word of God and prayer. That's what discipline and instruction means. That we need to be willing to warn them, to correct them, to discipline them, to instruct them in the word, to lead them in prayer. All those things are part of uh, bringing them up in instruction and discipline. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, but as for you, 
Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul tells Timothy as Paul is about to leave the scene and Timothy is about to succeed him, remember what you learned as a child. Remember what Lois and Eunice taught you in the home. Remember they brought you up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. They instilled in you the word of God now that you're preparing to be shot out, to be a light for Jesus. Remember what you learned from them and apply it to your life. Discipline and instruction. Um, I like what Dennis Waitley says. Dennis Waitley says this. The greatest gifts you can give your children are the roots of responsibility and the wings of independence. Love it. Uh, and, then, and then noted novelist James Baldwin says this. Children have, and because you say, man, they don't listen to me. Baldwin's got something for you. This is what he says. Children have never been good at listening to their elders but they have never failed to imitate them. So if they won't listen to you, model it. Because listen, there are going to be times when they're not going to want to listen, Martha. Cynthia, it's going to be times, you know this, they ain't going to want to hear a thing you got to say. But I guarantee you what they're doing is they're watching and they're making mental notes. Daddy says one thing, but he does something different. He talks about raising me the right way, but he don't come home till 3 in the morning. Mama says one thing in public about raising me, but I don't see her living that out in the house. Maybe they won't listen. But if you can do nothing else as an archer, model the right way. Right? And so um, you should care. Here it is, I'm, and I'm done. Uh, you should care about the job I'm doing raising Simeon. You should care about that. Because when there's breakdown in the archer-arrow relationship, there's a ripple effect that is felt by everyone. There's a breakdown between me and him, between mama and him, between me and him and mama. You're going to feel it. It's like a relay team. It's like a sports team. When somebody doesn't do their job on the relay, then the entire team has to suffer the result of somebody who dropped a baton. When somebody doesn't do their job on a sports team, the entire team has to suffer after the game in the post-game uh, speech because somebody didn't do their job. Now it's a long ride home for mama and daddy. Right? So if I'm not doing my job, you say, well, that's your business. Now, I'm not telling you to involve yourself in my business. I'm not telling you to, work, to come to my house. But I am telling you that you should be concerned about what's happening at my house. Just like I ought to be concerned with what's happening at Rick's house. I ought to be concerned what's happening at Cynthia's house. I ought to be concerned what's happening at Kimmy's house, at Tammy's house, at all of y'all's houses. Because if not, if something goes wrong, it's going to affect me at some point. All of us will be affected. When we see children, when we see children, we ought to be like Louis Pasteur 
Here's what Louis says. When I approach a, a child, he inspires me in two sentiments. Tenderness for what he is and respect for what he may become. That's what we all should feel. That's the reason why I'm concerned. I'm not going to call you. I'm not going to come to your house. I'm not going to try to get in your affairs. But I'm concerned how you raise your children. Because they are arrows that are waiting to be shot into the world. World changers in the making. We have a responsibility. Lord, we thank you for your word that leads and guides us. Thank you for your love for us, that you entrusted those of us that are parents with the responsibility to raise our children with discipline, with instruction, not provoking, but in love, nurture, admonition of the Lord. We thank you. Help us to do it in an effective way. And then, Lord, certainly we pray for our children today. They're bombarded with so much. They're faced with so many challenges, so many things that are pulling them in all different directions. Help us to be parents that are involved and concerned and that love them so much that we won't allow them to be pulled away. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I want to uh, extend invitation to anyone who may be here, does not know the Lord, not surrendered to him, not given your life to him. Today is a good day to get that done. So if you are here and that, that describes you, then we want to offer you the opportunity to uh, have one of our elders, deacons, pray with you and to lead you into that relationship with Jesus. Um, if by chance you're here and you just don't want to do it, you, you don't feel like you want to do it uh, with them, then I just encourage you to pray yourself. Uh, you can do it yourself without any help. Uh, when I did it, I was by myself. Just me and the Lord. When the preacher in sight, and I said, Father, I'm yours. And he says, Son, welcome. And so we encourage you to do that. Get that taken care of. Um, while the old folks say, while the blood is running warm in your veins, make sure that matter is taken care of. Then secondly, I want to invite those of you that maybe, maybe have been coming uh, to Bethel Hope and you'd like to unite with us want to give you that opportunity. Uh, get with uh, one of our deacons or elders that are standing in the back and they'll lead you into what is necessary to get that done as well. We'd love for you to be a part of our growing family here at Bethel Hope. Our growing uh, diverse family that looks like heaven. I'm just encouraged. <laughs> <laughs>